Father in heaven, we come to you. And Lord, in this moment, may we just seek you. Father God, I pray that you may tear down any walls of defensiveness that we may have, any disappointment that we may have in our heart, that we may see you clearly. Lord, I pray for your spirit to move in a mighty way in our hearts right now, that we may, that we may see you more clearly. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You know, when I was a child, we went on a, um, on a va- family vacation down south, and we, were stay- we were, went to this water park, and we were going down this slide, and I'll never forget, I mean, this memory scarred in my mind. I went down the water slide, my brothers, my sister, my cousins all went down the water slide. We were getting out of the water slide, we were walking out of the gate to go to the next thing, and then we heard it. We heard the splashing, we heard the screaming, we heard the, the desperation. We turn around and we see my mom at the bottom of the water slide screaming for her life, John, help me, just help me. And then in all of his wisdom, my dad screams out all across the water park, Kathy, just stand up. And in that moment, my mom stood up and she was okay. That was a rough one. You know, all throughout life, sometimes we have moments like that when we're seeking help, seeking a miracle, and the answer is right there. It's right there, and it's always been right there. Our question that we're dealing with today, our one question to God, God, why don't you just do a miracle? All this junk going on in the world, all the stuff I'm dealing with in my life. I mean, let's, let's be honest. If you're all powerful, why don't you just do a miracle? Why don't you just show up and reveal yourself to me? Make all this bad stuff go away. Make people do good. Show us without a doubt your, the evidence of your existence, uh, existence. Just show up. And you know, when you read the story of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, it is full of God doing unbelievable miracles. You look in the Old Testament, there's the plagues, the splitting of the Red Sea, uh, God speaking to, to people through a donkey, fire rolling down from heaven, so many unbelievable things. And fast forward into the Gospels in the New Testament, and Jesus just continued on the amazing work of miracles. We see him turn water into wine, healing a man who was terminally ill. Um, he, he told uh, a man who was invalid for 38 years to get up and walk. And immediately that guy got up and walked. He fed more than 5,000 people, which is five loaves of bread and two fish. And everybody in that crowd ate. And they ate so much that they were completely full, like they'd just been to a buffet. And they still had so much food left over that they fill, overfilled 12 baskets. Uh, we see Jesus walk on water. He gave sight to a blind man. And of course, like we talked about last week, he raised Lazarus from the dead. And even today, this same God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, who did these miracles in the Old Testament and the miracles in the New Testament, he does miracles today. He does. But here's the problem. It's a problem not of a lack of miracles. It's a problem of a different set of expectations. It's not that God is not working. It's our expectations of what we want God to do is completely different from what God is actually trying to do. You know, for us, we want God to do miracles. Why? Because we want him just to fix all the problems in our life. 
We want him just to wipe out all the bad junk that we're dealing with. We want him to fix the world we live in so that we can enjoy this life more. But God's purpose of miracles has never been to make our life in this world better. That was never his purpose. You know what his purpose is for miracles? Every time God did a miracle in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and today was for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was for us to have an opportunity to see him. That's the purpose of his miracles. It's not to wipe out all the junk in our life. It's for us to see him. And here's the crazy thing. We see the miracles Jesus performed. There were crowds of people that flocked to him all the time when he did these miracles. And and many people, even beyond those who recorded the events, stated the validity of these miracles. They were true. They actually happened. There was undeniable evidence that this happened. We see this biblically and we see this beyond biblical evidence as well. That there's there's just undeniable proof. Many people wanted more of him doing miracles. But yet still many, the Bible says, did not believe even with the physical evidence right in front of their very own eyes they did not believe I mean regarding the miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead that we talked about last week in depth and if you missed that message if you missed what I'm talking about right now I encourage you to go to our impact YouTube page impact Pittsburgh YouTube page subscribe there you can check out the the message from last week so you can catch up on that and all of our past messages but not long after Jesus did that miracle, he raised Lazarus from the dead. We encounter the chief priests. Oh yeah, those chief priests. They could not deny the fact that Jesus did this miracle. They could not deny the fact that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. They could not deny something amazing just happened. They despised Jesus though. And, and And they wanted something to change, and they weren't willing to change their attitude. In fact, the chief priest in John 12, verses 10 through 11, the Bible says this, not long after Lazarus was raised from the dead, so the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus. That's right. The man that Jesus went and wrote and had walk out of that tomb, now the chief priests were developing a plan to kill him. Why? For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and catch this, and believing in him. They couldn't deny the fact that the miracle happened. The evidence was foolproof, but they were unwilling to change their heart. They were unwilling to change their attitude. And so they wanted Lazarus dead. They wanted him dead. All because, not that there was a lack of a miracle, but because of what the miracle pointed towards. And the miracle pointed towards the truth. And they did not want to accept the truth, the reality of Jesus. You know, all throughout history, the people have said, boy, if God would just do a miracle... If he would just show up and do something amazing, then I would believe. And that's just not true. That's not historically true at all. I mean, go throughout the Bible. Pharaoh, who was, had, the Egypt, had the Hebrew people as slaves, he saw the plagues. He saw the, the waters split apart. And yet he still did not believe. 
Even in the New Testament, people have saw Jesus do amazing things like the chief priests, and yet they still not, did not believe. You know, here's the big struggle. We demand God to give us proof. We demand God to give us evidence of his existence to come through for us. And the mindset is, I will believe when I see it. But here's the problem with that. God did prove himself. Many times. All throughout history. From the beginning of time in Genesis to Revelation and all throughout history, God revealed himself through miraculous, in miraculous ways. He always does. But along with the evidence that God reveals, there needs to be an element of faith. An element of faith. See, I truly believe the issue is not the lack of, a lack of miracles or a lack of evidence. The issue, just like with the chief priests, just like with Pharaoh, just like with people all throughout history, the issue is not a lack of evidence. The issue is our heart. It's our heart. And when we struggle with our faith, when our faith gets a little bit shaky, over time, what then develops is worry and fear that begins to creep in. And then as worry and fear tend to creep in, what then happens is, God, I want you to show up. I need you to do this in my life. I need a miracle. Why? Not because God didn't show up, but because we didn't walk in faith. We walked away from him. And when that happens, it is inevitable at some point in your life, fear and worry will, will reveal itself. Why? Because you're outside of God. You're outside of his protection. And you're beginning within your own conscience to re realize it. That maybe I'm not as great as I think or thought I was. And so often throughout life, many of us, we live in fear. We live in absolute worry. And we turn on the news and all it does is boil that fear and that worry even more and more and more. And here's the thing. Did you even think about this? To live in worry, you have to believe in something that you really cannot see. Your mind's believing something that will happen that you don't really have an idea on. To live in fear causes us to believe in something that we cannot see as well. The craziness in all of this is that faith, worry, fear all do the same thing. They all demand that we believe in something that we cannot see. But the choice is yours. Will you live a life of complete worry and fear or will you trust Jesus and live in faith? The Apostle Paul wrote these words in 2 Corinthians 5. For we live by faith, not by sight. That's how we live. We live knowing that I've seen the evidence. I've seen how God has come through for me before. And so because of I, how I've seen God come through for me before and others before, I trust that he will always come through for me in the future. That is the faith. It's not a blind faith. It's faith based on evidence of what he's already, already proven, what he's already done. And so those of us who choose to walk in faith, it doesn't mean fear and worry doesn't creep in sometimes. It will. But when that happens, we lean on our faith. Why? Because we know faith wins and worry and fear just destroy us. 
You know, the problem that we tend to walk into is something we talked about a few weeks ago. We struggle with the mindset that we will believe it when we see it. When so often, all throughout life, there's so many elements in life that are, that are revealed to us when we truly believe it. Until we believe, until we start taking those steps, it doesn't really come to fruition. You know, there's a great old movie, Indiana Jones. All right? And there was a scene at the end of uh, the last crusades. He was trying to get to the, to the, um, through this cave. And he was following the map. And then he got to this point that it was this endless abyss that he had to walk across. And his, his map said, take a step of faith. And I remember Indiana Jones just standing there thinking, um, this is weird. I step, I die because there's nothing here. And he's like, all right, I'm just going to do it. And then that, that scene, he just closes his eyes. He steps his foot out and he just leans forward, probably in his mind thinking I'm about to die. But as soon as he took that step, all of a sudden his eyes were opened up to what he did not see right in front of him, a bridge that went across the abyss. And he was able to safely walk to the other side. So often throughout our life, we miss out on God working in our life. Why? Because we don't believe him and because we don't believe him, we don't take those steps of faith. And by so doing, we miss out on so many things he wants to do in our life. And he's saying, if you just step. If you read the whole story of the Bible from the beginning to the end, people saw God work, not when they were like, God, okay, show up and then I'll follow you. Over and over again, God said, here, here's the proof of my existence. Here's the proof of what I want to do. Now follow me. And then it wasn't until they took those steps that God fully revealed himself. It wasn't until Moses at that burning bush when he said, God, you have the wrong person. And God says, no, I don't. You come. And it wasn't until he took that step of faith that his eyes were opened up. You see all the people throughout the Bible, to, from Moses to Abraham to Esther to Job to, to all the prophets into the New Testament, the disciples and Paul himself. His eyes were not opened up to the reality of Jesus until he took a step towards Jesus on that road to Damascus. And so often we miss out on what God really wants to do in our life. Not because he's not working, not because he's not doing a miracle, but because we're unwilling to take a step of faith and we don't fully understand. And then and only then do we see God in all of his fullness, in all of his splendor. But let's be honest here. One of the hardest challenges for us Christians in our journey is waiting God, for God to answer prayers. I mean, that, when we're talking about miracles and God showing up, that's ultimately, if we're honest with ourselves, we're talking about God. I threw up all these prayers, and, and it just seems like you're not answering me. It just seems like you're not coming through. Like, can you just show up for once? I've been there. Have you? And I think that's the biggest struggle that we tend to have that really causes our faith to get a little weak sometimes. 
You know, those moments when we urgently need him to intervene in circumstances that are breaking our heart, testing our faith, or, and robbing us of, our, of peace and joy. And there has been so many times that I've found myself personally praying to God, crying to God, trying to remind myself of all of his promises of how he's come through in the past and trying to believe that he's going to come through again in the future. And so many times our prayers are centered around this need, God, just show up, I need a miracle because I cannot do this. And can I just give you some words of encouragement in those moments as you walk those journeys? In those moments, truly take time to remember how much God loves you and how much he loves those you're praying for. I think so often when our disappointment rises in our heart because we feel like God's not answering our prayers, we begin to lose sight on how much he desperately loves us. Don't lose sight of that. And beyond that, remember how God has always been faithful in the past. In my moments of brokenness, in my moments of throwing prayers to God and saying, God, where are you? And I just feel like he's letting me down. I have to remind myself Remember how he did this? Remember how he came through here? And that gave me the strength to say, okay, God, I believe how you came through here, you will come through again. You will. And just keep praying. Keep talking to him. Don't give up doing that. It may be a day, a week, a month. It may be years. But don't stop talking to him. Don't quit. And then the hardest part of this journey is we need to find peace in truly surrendering to God's will. That's one of the hardest parts of trusting him. Saying, God, I've been praying for this miracle. I don't know if you're gonna show up in the way that I want you to show up. You may have different plans but I'm surrendering this to you. Like Shadrach, like uh, the guys who walked into the burning furnace and their words of faith that I struggle with, even if God does not show up, they said, walking into that furnace, even if we die today, we will worship him. That's Surrender. And we miss out on seeing God work because we're unwilling to truly surrender like them and so many other people in the Bible. God, you may not come the way I hoped you to come. You may not reveal yourself the way that I want you to reveal yourself. But no matter what, I will worship you. That's surrender. And so often in our journey, We've made a bad connotation of what surrender is. <clears throat> we view it like at a war, where it's like, I'm surrendering myself to the enemy. And <clears throat> when I surrender myself to the enemy, they're going to rule over me and make me do things that I don't want to live, do. Live the way that I don't want to live if I surrender to the enemy. But here's the thing God is not your enemy. He never has and he never will be. The enemy is the devil who's trying to destroy your heart away from him. He's trying to rule your life. But when we surrender to God opposite from what we believe or understand, God 
who is full of love and grace, reveals himself and provides a life that you could never imagine before. This is where the struggle is. Going back to the chief priest wanting to kill Lazarus, <clears throat> the problem was not that they needed another miracle. The problem was that they did not like the result of the miracle. And it's typically not that we don't see miracles today. God's working all the time. But oftentimes when he does show up, we're not satisfied with the results. We're not satisfied with what the miracle is pointing us towards. And then when we're left disappointed or unsatisfied, unsatisfied what we tend to do is we try to dismiss them. It, that really didn't happen. <clears throat> or, or I can explain that miracle. I can tell you how that worked. See, God didn't really do something. This is how it works. And then we lose sight of God's miracle of creation and how he put order into this world. And we downplay what God does. You know, science is a wonderful thing. Science is a great thing that constantly aligns with God's order of creation. You know, in just its most basic understanding, science is simply knowledge of that order. However, in order to gain the deeper knowledge of science, you have to create a theory. This is how it works. You create theories, you test those theories, and then what happens is you come to conclusions and you find out whether that theory was true or not true. But what happens sometimes when we mess up signs is our hearts get in the way, just like, the, just like Pharaoh, just like the chief priests. Our hearts get in the way. And what then tends to happen is, I want this to be the end result. And then we kind of create what is the end result. And then we create theories to get us from point A to point B to match our result. And that's what tends to mess up science. When I was in middle school, I'm, I, I was a smart student, I'll be honest with you. <clears throat> and when I was in middle school, I was in algebra. And I don't know if they still do this, but they had the answers in the back of the book. <clears throat> and when, when I was like behind getting my homework done, don't listen to this young students. I would look at the answers and then try to figure out how to get to that answer. Because I couldn't figure out the problem. And this one day in algebra class, I'll never forget, you know, the teacher then was calling people up to the, to the board to, to do their work. And she called me up there to do this one problem. I was like, okay. And I walked up there and I put all the answers. I did my, all my work on there. And I sat down. No joke, this is what my teacher did. She goes up there, she looks at the blackboard and she stopped and she's staring at it. I'm thinking, what's the problem? I know this right answer. I looked at the back of the book. And finally she turns to me and she goes, Bill, you have the right answer, but I have no idea how you did that. <laughs> I came up with a new math philosophy. And that's what we tend to do in life. We try to become God, and we want this life. And we don't like how God is showing up and the truth he's pointing us towards. So then we try to, how can I recreate things to get this life? That's exactly what the chief priests were doing. We don't like you, Jesus. I can't deny the miracle you just did. I can't deny that Lazarus, who was dead for four days, is now living again. I can't deny it. So let's kill Lazarus. Let's create the truth that we want so that we can have the life that we want. And that same heart has been there from the beginning of time. Jesus dealt with it in the Gospels, and it exists today. The problem is not a lack of miracles. The problem 
is our heart. It's our heart. But please be under, understand something. Our lack of surrender never changes the reality of what is truth. Some things are true whether you believe them or not. And in the Bible, even when seeing the miracles, many people still would not believe. It's written in John 12, 37. <clears throat> even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. We often say, if I was there with Jesus, if I saw him do those things, I would believe. Well, how do you know? Because here were people that saw him physically, saw the miracles, could not deny the evidence, but then they still would not believe. I, I think we want miracles to take away our pain, to take away our suffering, to take away our, our, our disappointment, to make the life that we want in this world. I, I think that's honestly, if we're gonna be real, the heart of the issue is I want a miracle so I can have the life I want. And remember the expectations gets kind of sidetracked. We focus so much on what is temporary. But please know this, Jesus wants to be the one who fulfills us. He wants to be the one. Not some miracle that's temporary. He wants to be the one who fulfills us. He wants to be the one to take away our pain, to take away our suffering. He wants to turn our disappointments into hope. What we're dealing with is the contradiction of expectations, not a lack of evidence, not a lack of miracles. We want a miracle to get us back to our life. God performs a miracle to point us towards his heart. Here's the thing, my friends. Miracles deal with what is temporary. That's ultimately what they deal with. Miracles deal with this temporary world to satisfy us, healing our physical pain, taking away the junk in our life. And we continue in our hearts and our minds to be more focused on what is temporary. But please understand this, God is focused on what is eternal. He's not focused on the temporary. He's trying to pull us out of that mindset. This world will pass away. These troubles you have are temporary. They will one day no longer be there. Stop focusing only on what is temporary, God's trying to tell us. Focus on eternal. That's me. That's Jesus. When we face what is eternal, ultimately what that does is it makes us face truth. And when we face truth, we face a choice that must be made. Jesus replied in John 12, beginning in verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Here, Jesus is separating in his very words what is temporary and what is eternal. He's saying, don't worry about what is temporary. That will pass away. Focus on what is eternal. In this teaching, Jesus is using a play on words to get his point across. He says, anyone who loves their life, when he says that, he's talking about our life now in this world, what is temporary and what we're dealing with in this moment. He says, if you love this life, this world, what you have in this moment, and you live for this life, what you have now, what in this moment, you have the risk of losing your life, what is eternal, 
everything, eternity, your future. But if you hate your life, what he means if you're willing to give up what is temporary, what you may want right now, guess what? You keep everything. You have eternity. In these couple of sentences, Jesus is trying to say, guys, stop being so focused on this world. Stop being so focused on what is temporary. See what I have for you for all eternity. See, God wants us to see beyond what is temporary to what is eternal. That's ultimately what he wants us to see. An amazing uh, miracle that Jesus performed in John uh, 6 was the feeding of the 5,000 people. In this moment, he and the disciples were hanging out and one of the disciples looked up and said, Jesus, look, we got a problem. The crowds are coming. There's thousands of people there and they're hungry and we have no food. What are we gonna do? And they start panicking. Jesus said, don't worry, I got this. That's cool. That's Bill Balbach terminology. And they all approach there and Jesus says, what do we got? Well, we have, you know, five loaves of bread and two fish, Jesus. But I count at least 5,000 men. There's even more than that. There's a whole bunch of people there. Okay, bring it here. Jesus prays over the five loaves of bread and two fish. He says, pass it out. And he passes out all the food. And there's so much food. They had like a buffet line. They're like, this is the best bread I ever had. I mean, who cooked the filet this way, man? This is awesome. It's unbelievable. And they all feasted until they were full. I mean, they were, they, you ever eat so much it hurts? I mean, they were like at that point, they were hurt. And they were like, boy, this is the best meal I've ever had. And then Jesus told his disciples, okay, each of you get a basket. There's 12 of you. Go get the leftovers. And they went around and they got all the leftovers to keep for later. And Every one of them filled their baskets completely full. And God says, I got it. You don't have to worry about that. You're so worried on what is temporary. I got you. And then he begins to go into a deep teaching. You see, you're worried about what is temporary, but I am forever. And you need to surrender to me. And he goes in that teaching. And then with all the evidence right in front of them, when God, when Jesus went to their heart, in John 6, 66, the Bible says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Hundreds of people on that day, after seeing what he just did, Like, your miracle is pretty cool, but I don't like this whole surrendering stuff. And they walked away. Our our biggest problem with miracles is not that there's a lack of miracle activity. God's working every day. But we put the blinders on. We don't see them. There's not a lack of evidence. God's proven himself time and time again. But what we have a problem with is a different set of expectations. We want God to fix what is temporary. We want God to fix our life right now. And God says, one day this will all pass away. 
And then what? I'm not temporary, I'm eternal. And I want you to see what is eternal. All of his miracles point towards his heart. See, the purpose of miracles is to point towards truth. Every time God showed up, every time he performed a miracle, it was to point towards truth. And the Bible is full of miracles. And each time they revealed who God is. In John 20, verses 30 to 31, it's written, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Just like we said, we see the evidence, but we try to dismiss it. Dismiss it. But God always shows up. You know what he shows up to reveal to us? That Jesus is the miracle we need. He's the miracle we need. Other, the other miracles are great. But ultimately, everything points to this fact. Jesus is what you need. He's what you need. And just like he looked at his disciples, he turned around after all those hundreds of people walked away from him in John 6. He looked at the 12, and in verse 67, Jesus said this to them, you do not, leave, you do not want to leave too, do you? And I believe he turns to us in a world that walks away from him all the time. I think he asks us the same question. I mean, you don't want to walk away too, do you? I mean, are you more focused on filling your bellies or what I can provide for you for the rest of time and beyond? In a world that's constantly trying to dismiss the evidence, attempting to develop a life that they want, Jesus is asking us, what will you choose? It's not another miracle we need. We need to trust him. We need to completely surrender to him. That's what he was asking the disciples in John 6. That's what he's asking for us today. The miracle is Jesus. But are you willing to take that step? Even when you may not fully understand it all, are you willing to take that step and see him for all he is and what he wants to do in your life and through your life? The miracle is Jesus if you just surrender to him. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now and we praise you because you are good. And Lord, in this moment, may we just turn to you. Lord, help us to trust you fully. Help us to see you more clearly. And Lord, right now, I pray for each person here in this building and online. Lord, so often we struggle because it seems like our lives get beaten down and we pray and sometimes we struggle with seeing if you're even there. But Lord, in that moment, help us to truly seek your heart and see all the ways that you've come through and continue to come through. And Lord, in that moment, may we give you our heart and may we surrender completely to you and may we experience you in a whole new way. It's in your name we pray, amen. 